Well, let's go. <laughs> well, this evening's talk is entitled The Best is Yet to Come. Now, my son at the moment is having an extension built. And, you know, at first that involved a lot of knocking down of things. It involved a lot of standing in ruins and rubble. It involved a lot of looking on in despair and being discouraged at what was happening to the house. But then the, revive, the rebuilding began and the foundations were laid and the roof was built over their heads and the essential services were brought in. Let me just get rid of this. There we go. And the essential services were brought in. There are similarities in the Christian life, I think. First of all, we've got Jesus, and he's our foundation, which was laid before the, the beginning of the world. We've got the blood of Jesus, and that covers us. We've got the Holy Spirit, and that provides the power, the essential service of the power. And yet again, the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us. And it's really good to see this building going up. But the best is yet to come because they're going to be living in it. And do you know what? It looks really lovely. The big problem that they will find when they move into it that is that it never stays clean. <laughs> it looks lovely now that it's been built and it's up. But when they get three little boys, age seven and under, it'll never stay clean. And I know that because I'm, they're living with me at the moment. I'm forever falling over shoes and toys, and it's just impossible to keep tidy. But we're like that, aren't we? We look okay on the outside, but inside of us, it's a very different matter. Because like we said yesterday, the Holy Spirit is living there, but so is sinful self. And it's forever rearing its ugly head. And you know what? It's impossible to keep him subdued. So we need all those essential services to help us keep clean. We need Jesus, the foundation, because he died for us, that we could be forgiven and reconciled with God. We need the blood of Jesus because he covers us and that gives us the assurance of being accepted by God. We need the Holy Spirit because it provides the power and that helps us to live this new life. And we need the blood of Jesus because it cleanses us and it wipes clean the stains that are left by sin. But you know, the beginning of it, the knocking down process, can be humiliating, it can be painful, it can be uncomfortable, but it is necessary before the rebuilding can start. Are we prepared to pay that price for the future which lies before us? The people, and this is something that Haggai addresses, the people got the prior priorities right, they laid down the foundations, Jesus is our foundation. He built the altar for offerings. When Jesus died on the cross, he became our burnt offering. And they were realized that they were putting their interests first and they 
they were putting their interests first and they did things their own way. And they began to put God first in their lives. And when they did that, they went back to rebuilding the temple. But just three weeks after this, God through Haggai spoke to the people again. And I think we better listen to chapter two to see what he has to say. So, Andy, you're the voice of Haggai. Are you ready to, uh, to read chapter two? Chapter two. Haggai chapter two. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains upon you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of a former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied. It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of a Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any yet 
Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shape the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Thank you, Andy. So we hear Haggai speaking to the people again. And he says, does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Well, you know, 16 years before, those who remembered Solomon's temple were guilty of the same thing. Because it says in Ezra 3, it says, but many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's, temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. So here it is roar, rearing its ugly head again. And people have been hanging on to that disappointment for 16 years. They still haven't surrendered it to the Lord. And, you know, we might try to ignore our sin, we, but, and we might sort of hang on to it for a long time, but God waits for the, patiently for the right time to deal with it. And it was the time to sort this out. God knew exactly what his people were thinking, and he knows exactly what we're thinking today. And once again, they were making comparisons. They were comparing the temple of their day to Solomon's temple. And it wasn't looking good in the light of that temple. That temple was a glorious and vast structure that dominated the city of Jerusalem. It was made of gold and precious metals. It was furnished with fine materials. This new one that they were building didn't compare favorably at all. But you know, the people were looking back to a time of great prosperity for the Israelites. They were living in a different time then, and circumstances now were very different. There was limited resources and materials. So it's an important question for people today who can look back to what used to be. We look back to big churches, we look back to Sunday schools. We look back to the thousands attending Billy Graham crusades. Maybe we look back to revival. And we're bemoaning the fact that things are not the same now. And we're trying to resurrect the old ways instead of looking for the new life that's springing up. And it is so easy, so easy to still live in the good old days to want to return to the past. 
rather than face up to the present day problems that we have. We need to look forward to a new way of doing things. So we have to ask ourselves, are we stuck in the past? And you know, at this time, looking back had hindered the work of God in their present circumstances, which seemed to be second rate by comparison with the previous time. But it was God's temple for that time. And we've got to be really careful that we don't fall into that trap of looking back and missing what God wants us to do today and what God wants to do today. God, God's people needed a new vision for the Lord's work. And we too need a new vision. We don't need a new message. Like the Israelites, we need to get back to getting our priorities right, to getting the cross in the, sen in the center. But then a vision for where, how the Lord is working and how he's working today. We've got to have a willingness to let go of the past and to embrace the future. And this is such an important principle that God himself speaks to his people about it. He says, be strong, or in some versions, be brave, take courage, don't be discouraged. And he says this to three different audiences. He speaks to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. He speaks to Joshua, the high priest. And then he speaks to all God's people. No one is excluded from this message. And it must be important. So why is it so important? Well, discouragement starts small, but gradually wears you down. We've looked at this before. But it results in a weakening of resolve and, and apathy in the church and in the Christians. They lose their joy, their freedom, the new of the new life that's found at the cross. And the church is paralyzed and ineffective. So how does the Lord encourage his people at that time? Well, he says, you need to be strong. You need to be brave. You need to take courage and step out and do the work. He says, get to work for I am with you. And then he says, my spirit remains among you. Their strength comes from the Lord being with them. They have set their will to obey him. And the Lord is now on their side. He was with them in their work and it changes our outlook. Previously, we've been led by the desire of sinful self. But now we've been led by the spirit. And, you know, it makes all the difference. But it also reminds them of the things he's done for them in the past, how they were in a dire situation in Egypt and there was seemingly no way out of it. But God did the impossible for them and he made a covenant with them. And he said, now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. 
He tells them that he's kept that promise. He tells them that there's no need to be afraid. And, you know, it must have been heartening for them to look back on that because when they thought about how much they let him down time and time again, they must have wondered if they were ever going to be restored to him. They'd done things their way and not God's way. They hadn't obeyed him. And yet God said, when they turned back to him, they, God said to them, my spirit is still with you. And that's an important principle for us today. We might sin. We might let God down in some way. Maybe all seems to be going wrong. Maybe we're suffering. But we must remember how God has been with us in the past. And that strengthens our faith. We don't just look back. We look forward in faith. And this temple will be greater than the former temple. Herod is going to remodel it into something greater than Solomon's temple. Something that is just beyond their imagining. And, you know, it might look significant to them, but they have to keep at it because they don't know what it is to become. And then he made a prophetic statement. Now, there are two types of prophecy. There's the Greek prophecy that says, if the statement comes true, it's genuine. And then there's the Jewish one, which is based on pattern. And it's usually based on a pattern of three. And it's usually based on the relevance for today, the relevance for the near future, and the relevance for the distant future. And God says this, for this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, in just a little while, I will again shape the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord Almighty. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord, have spoken. So it's speaking to them about where they are. The rebuilding has begun, but it, it seems insignificant in their eyes. But then he speaks of the time, a few hundred years later, when Jesus will walk and perform miracles and worship in this temple. So the glory of the Lord will be in the temple. But, you know, at that time, his glory is going to be veiled by the flesh. People will not see his glory and they will not recognize his significance. But in the distant future, he will return to the site of this temple. And then all will see his glory and the peace of God will come to this place. So this temple does not have the same glorious appearance as Solomon's temple, but the day will come when this seemingly insignificant building will be filled with glory. 
And these people have been entrusted to build the temple. Might not seem like much now, but the best is yet to come. And they must not be discouraged. And we too are the temple of the Lord. It doesn't look much now, but what a future we have to look forward to. The best for us is yet to come. But at the moment, that seems highly unlikely because often it seems more like a dirty hovel than a glorious temple. But you know, I remember going to a baptism one, one summer and the young lad became a Christian. He'd become a Christian and he was baptized. But you know what? After that, he never set foot inside a church again. And it was such a shame. But you know, this lad knew exactly what his heart was like. And he had fully expected the Lord to change him in baptism. He thought that by being baptized, everything was going to change. But he hadn't understood that although we are forgiven, we're still not clean. It's an ongoing process. And the sin always has a tendency to rear its ugly head. Now, in some ways I can identify with this man. I know that the image I show to the world is not a true image of what is going on inside of me. Outwardly, I may be conforming by appearing to live a good life, but inwardly, I know my heart and mind need to be transformed as I repent of the sins that the Lord shows me and, and I allow the spirit to fill me. When I repent of the sin and that is cleansed, the spirit can fill that small spot. But sin is always going to be with me and it's always going to be with you in this life. But do you know what? The day will come when it will be taken away. And yet again, the best is yet to come. But a couple of months later, we find God addressing his people again. And this time he's addressing the problem of ongoing sin in our lives. The people had turned back to God, they'd rebuilt the altar, they'd resumed the sacrifices, they laid the temple foundations, and they finally, finally got their priorities right. They put God first in their lives. They gave priority to him. But now God needed to show them something else. He needed to show them that everything they do, everything they offer is defiled by their sin. And he started by asking them a couple of questions. And the answers helped them understand an important spiritual principle. He said, if any of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? And the priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, 
if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will that food be defiled? And the priests answered, yes. So we found that if something which is holy comes into contact with other things, it doesn't make those things holy. But if an unclean person comes into contact with other things, the other things will be defiled. Holiness is not transferable from person to person. Sin, on the other side, is contaminating and highly contagious. And it is possible to be outwardly conforming to standards and activities of being a Christian, and yet inwardly, we are spiritually deformed. We're seething with all manners of sin and evil desires, proud thoughts and self selfish motives. And it's this sin that needs dealing with as we walk with Jesus. And do you know what? God made provision for that when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. When he died on the cross, our sin was forgiven and we could be reconciled to God. We could approach him with confidence. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. And when God looks on us, that's what he sees. And he secured our standing before God. Our state, however, is another matter. But Christ's blood dealt with that. Christ's blood was shed on the cross. And do you know what? It's available for the cleansing of sins, which crop up as we walk with Jesus. And that sorts out our state before God, because as we walk normally, we become dirty. But the blood, if we go to the blood to be washed, spiritually speaking, then the blood will cleanse our sin. When we were first married, I had problems keeping my shower clean. I don't know if anybody else has had this problem, but the water stains were getting all over it and it left deposits on the perspex. And, you know, I couldn't find anything that would clean it. I tried scrubbing it. I bought different cleaning materials, but nothing seemed to work on the stain. But one day... I happened to buy something that did work. And I was so excited about this. Finally, finding something that would clean my stains off my shower. And it's like that, I think, with sin in our lives. We try all sorts of ways to eradicate it in our life. But do you know what? Without success. So we just learn to live with it and hope that we'll get better when all we really needed to do was find the right cleaner. And there's only one thing that will clean the stains left by sin, and that is the shed blood of Jesus. And as we avail ourselves of this blood, the blood of Christ, for cleansing of daily sin, as more and more of our personal life is handed over to Jesus, so more and more of the glory of God shines out of us. 
Haggai has one more thing to say. He says, tell them from now on to consider, to think carefully, to think back to what was happening in their lives before they laid the foundation of the temple. He says, the clues were all there for them to know that they weren't in a right relationship with the Lord. The crops were in short supply. There was no reward for all their hard work. They were dissatisfied with life. God's house was neglected. Nothing was going right for them. And God said, I made these things happen to you to get you to return to me, but you wouldn't. And this is what happens when you refuse to turn to me. But when they did change their ways and God was at the center of their lives again, relationship with God was restored and blessing followed. And you know, there are clues in our lives that there's a problem in our relationship with God. We need to look carefully at what's been happening. Look carefully of the things that we've been doing. And how does God show us this? Sometimes he speaks through his word. Sometimes he speaks through prayer. Sometimes things will happen with other people. I, I can remember once um, going to a cafe in Windsor and I was saving a seat for Rich on my table. Um, and he was coming to meet me. And some, there were plenty of sort of spare tables around. And a lady came up to me and said, can I sit here? And I said, well, I'm waiting for somebody. And uh, she sat down anyway. So I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? So I, I just sort of said, well, if you'll excuse me. And I went over to another table ready to save a place for Rich. Anyway, I was telling Richie about all this when he finally arrived. And he looked at me and he said, I wouldn't have done that. I thought, oh, flipping egg. I wouldn't have done that. He said, that lady might have wanted to talk to you about something. And he made me feel about so high. But, you know, the Lord speaks through these people. And it's a sign that there is a problem in our lives. And how I, Rich was right. And I had to go back to the Lord and repent about my lack of love for that lady. So that's also covers my second point, conviction of sin. But, you know, when we're not quite right with the Lord and there's a problem, there's a hardness of heart that creeps in. And we don't notice it to start with until we start snapping at people or we don't have time for people. And that's when you have to think, is there a problem in my life, Lord? Maybe there's a dryness in your spirit. Or another thing that we notice is we lose our peace. We don't want to spend time in the word. We don't want to spend time with other Christians. Just clues there that show us that we have moved away from the Lord and need to come back to him. But he's saying more than this. In Haggai 2 verses 18 to 19, he says this. Think care. Oh, he says, think about this 18th day of December 
the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines. Fig trees, pomegranates and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. So we need to listen carefully to what God is saying through Haggai. And he's, talk, he's talking about the seed only just being sown. And you know what? That seed is going to take a while to come to fruition. But the day for harvesting will come. And the fruits will be visible to all. And the Lord will bless his people. So what is the message in this for us? Well, it starts off by saying, when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, the foundation was laid for us, was laid by Jesus' death on the cross. And the seed of the Holy Spirit is planted in us when we turn to him and accept him as saviour. And you know what? It takes a while. It takes a lifetime to come to fruition. But as we surrender to Jesus in repentance, and then we allow him to cleanse and fill, our spiritual lives will grow and develop. Now, we are still at this time in that process of growing and maturing. But that harvesting will eventually take place. And, you know, there was a, an old hymn that I always remembered, and it stuck with me. And it's the last line of each verse that stuck with me. And the, the last line of the first verse says, all of self and none of me. And the second verse says, some of self and some of thee. And then the next verse says, less of self, and more of thee. And the final verse says, none of self and all of thee. And this is really the story of our Christian lives as we walk through, or it should be if we are walking in repentance. And the best is yet to come because when we finally get to glory, we will be at that stage when we say, none of self and all of thee and that is what the lord is doing for us as we walk so as we walk with jesus repenting and being filled the lord is slowly changing us to be more like him never be sinless until we get to glory like i said the best is yet to come you know i was watching my three young grandsons playing football this morning and usually there's a lot of bickering and a lot of arguing about who's having the ball and who's kicked who and, oh, dear me, all sorts of things. But this morning they were playing beautifully with one another. And I turned to my daughter-in-law and I said, this is a vision of the future. Going to be no more bickering in this world, no more wearing masks trying to hide our true selves. We're going to be at peace with ourselves and one another. The best is yet to come.
And I'm going to finish with something that I heard the other week. It was a story about two little boys being taken to a concert, a musical concert, a sort of classical musical concert. And they sat there and they listened to the orchestra tuning up. And one of the little boys turned to the other and said, funny music, this. Doesn't sound like the music, you know, that you'd expect. And the father was there because he'd been ta he'd taking the boys. And he said, well, just you wait a while, he said. He said, wait until the conductor arrives. And so they waited and the conductor strolled onto the stage. When the time was right, the conductor strolled onto the stage and he tapped his baton. And wow, all changed. And it was made beautiful music. Now, we're in the tuning up phase at the moment. But one day, God will take up the conductor's baton. And all will suddenly fall into place. All will come under his control. So now we've reached a stage where we say, no longer the best is yet to come. Now we're going to say, then it will be the best has just arrived. Amen. And I think I'm handing over to Dave now for a testimony. Thank you. Yes, indeed you are. Sheila, and thank you for your exposition of the, those chapters, which says quite a lot. You've you've pulled some some real uh, real gems out of out of that story. I want to back it up with a story of uh, that, that came to me just recently. I, I go once a month to a church about seven or eight miles away um, to conduct their services, and. Uh, I was there a couple of months ago and there was a couple in the back of the church, um, man, woman and a baby, beautiful baby. And after the service, I went up to them and said, I haven't seen you before. Um, nice to see you. And they said, or at least he said, the man said, well, we've only been Christians a little while and we've got, we wanted to worship here. So I said, well, that's wonderful. But then I had to go and talk to other people. And on my way home, I thought, I want to talk to, I want to find out about this, just become Christians. Um, they looked as if they're in their sort of 30 year old, that, that sort of age. And I thought, there's a, there's a testimony there. So I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm there next week as well, as it happens. Um, if they're there, Lord, give me grace and give me time to talk to them. I arrived the next Sunday and sure enough, there they were. <clears throat> so I went over to them straight away and I said, I'm so pleased you're here. I've been praying that you would be. I need to know a bit more about you. I'm, I, I, from the little bit you told me, I can see there's a, a, a great testimony there. And so Matt, that's Matthew, the, the man said, okay, after the service, we'll, we'll, we'll go and we'll, we'll talk. So after the service, we went outside the chapel and there's a little area where you can stand and chat. And 
he said, I hadn't, I wasn't a Christian. I had some Christian friends, so I knew a bit about it. But he said, I got into the wrong, wrong people. Um, I started drinking. Um, I met Steph, that's Stephanie. Um, and she was part of the gang and, uh, and we got onto drugs. And he said, it got worse and worse. We drank more, we smoked more. And eventually I was rushed into hospital one night at death's door. They put me in a bed and he said, I lay there and I realized that I was, I was pretty close to the end. And he said, I just prayed and I said, God, if I am still alive tomorrow, I will give my heart to you and become a Christian. And with that, he fell asleep. Now, the drugs he'd been on were so powerful, the medical people thought they wouldn't see him in the morning, that he'd be gone. Instead of which, he was alive. And he was, he was sitting up and he was able to chat to them. And so he was saved, saved from a terrible potential death simply because he cried out to God in his misery, in, in his sense of failure. Now, he and Steph had this little, little girl. They're not married. They were living the, 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 the world's way. But as soon as they became Christians, the first thing they wanted to do was to bring their little girl, Eloise, her name, to be um, dedicated to the Lord Jesus in a little service. That this is what we have in the Baptist church. And so the, one of the church elders and myself went to see them and uh, they said, you know, we, we really want to be a proper family. We want to get married. We want to get baptized because we've given our hearts to the Lord, but we really want Eloise to be dedicated as soon as we can. And they said, Although we're living together, we are living a celibate life until we can get married. But obviously it's going to take a little while to sort everything out. So they uh, brought little Eloise to church three weeks later. We had a lovely service and she was a darling. I, I, I held her in my arms to, to pray the blessing over her. But nearly everybody in the congregation said, she just looked at you and her eyes met yours. And it was a beautiful service because it was something that they wanted for their child. They didn't want their child to go the way they'd gone. And that's the beginning for them. They're now, we're now planning the baptism. We're planning the wedding. COVID hasn't helped a lot in this respect, but it's, they're, they're definitely making for a new life. And uh, the elder and myself visited them in, our, in their home and we prayed with them and they're reading the scriptures and they are attending worship every week. So it's a lovely story of someone who absolutely ruined their lives. And yet God in his mercy and grace saved them. And now they're beginning to learn the 
the gospel of grace. They've been met with grace at every moment. And I am just so thrilled to have seen someone who has gone as deep as you can go into sin and has come out saved. And they've got a lovely testimony and they're a lovely couple. And they've pictured for me, as we were listening to Sheila, they pictured for me the, the way the Jews had sort of gone away. They got to the point of total desperation and then God brought them back. There's another little verse at the end of the letter, at the end of the uh, Haggai, Haggai verse 23, and it says this, talking to the priest, he said, I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Now, the signet ring was a mark of a permanent relationship. Now, I've got a signet ring here, look, see? On the front, it used to have DW, but it's a long time since I got it and it's worn off. But inside, on the inside, it says, today from Alfie, 19.3.58. And that was when we, having prayed, having felt God was saying, yes, you are for each other, and we tested it in many ways, Having got that far, we said, well, now we'll buy each other a ring. So I got my signet ring. Alfie got a nice little um, emerald. emerald ring. That's right. Took us ages. We, we went to three different cities to find this emerald ring, but we did. And these two rings are a mark of a permanent relationship. When we look at our hand, we say, that's my engagement ring. That's my wedding ring as well. Um, and somehow, when I read that the message from Haggai to Zerubbabel was, I will make you like my signet ring, for I've chosen you. And as Alfie and I exchanged our rings, we had chosen one another. And we're still together after over 60 years. And that's due to the grace of God, I'm sure. So here we are. We've come to the end of a week of studying the scriptures. We've had some excellent teaching. I know many of us have been touched in our hearts by little things that have been said, something here, something there, and it, it, it just hits us. And now we've, we've got to say goodbye for a while. Uh, but we won't forget you. We've got our signet ring the mark of a permanent relationship with God, with Jesus, and with one another. So bless you as you go. We're going to um, move into our chat rooms, I believe, next, or do we have a song? I'm not sure. I'm in the hands of other people here. But bless you. It's been good to be with you, and it's been excellent to simply sit and listen to the word of God. So bless you all. Amen. <laughs>